1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> I want to look at a very familiar passage today. And uh, the passage that really is that which is the hope for our nation, the hope for our world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And beginning in verse number 1. If you look at verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that... He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would give us exactly what we need from your word. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm thankful for all of the police officers today and over the last several nights that have served our nation and served their cities well. You know, the reality is, and Brother Tozer mentioned it as he was praying a moment ago, that uh, the bad cop is really the rarity. Really, the uh, vast majority are the ones who are doing things right. They are uh, even going overboard to do things right. I heard someone say this week that no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop. And uh, certainly we can see why this week, because of one bad cop, Thousands of good police officers are being put in harm's way and risking their lives to try to protect the people in those communities. And uh, as people are flooding in from outside the community, I heard one man uh, that was speaking uh, this week on, uh, I believe it was on Fox News, and he said, you know, these are not the people that live in those areas. He said, these are people from uh, nicer, more wealthy white neighborhoods, many of them, that are being flown in or they're driving in from a distance so they can come and burn down uh, the areas that are already of great need. And uh, they are leading much of this. They're doing much of this. And uh, you hear the pleas of the people that live in those communities saying, please don't burn us down. Don't burn our things down. Uh, we, we're fearful to even go out and protest peacefully now. Uh, and really they're being silenced, not by uh, a police officer, but by these rioting crowds. And it really is an astonishing thing to watch the United States of America. And as this becomes more and more uh, normal, in a sense, we've seen this uh, some years ago in Ferguson, a couple of years ago, and uh, these kinds of things happening, it seems like, more and more often. And uh, I, I watch some of these things on the news, and I think, you know, uh, the reality is that, that this looks like something Thing that should be happening somewhere like uh, with a name like Benghazi. I mean, that's you expect to see something in another country, but it just doesn't. It doesn't feel like that should be America, and yet that is the America in which we live. We live in a an America where uh, people are hurting where people are in need, where uh, people are trying to figure out how to move forward and press through some of these situations, and where uh, we live in a nation where there is, uh, there is much unity, but there is also much division. 
We live in a nation that uh, seems as though right now it's, uh, and has seemed a few times, like it's kind of at a splintering point, and, uh, and there's so much division, there's so much uh, concern, there's so much anarchy, there's so much that is happening, and so much that is going on, and within each one of those situations, there's so many tiny situations that each one needs to be dealt with, and, and, and we look at all that is going on in not only our world, but our own nation, uh, we look at an economy now that uh, has been decimated by an overreaction to a virus, uh, we look at all of what is happening, and, and it would be very easy to say, what hope is there that really things will ever be back to what they should be? But you know, the reality is this, the day that God cannot revive a little tiny nation like the United States of America, I'm saying that in comparison with his greatness, then the reality is he won't be God any longer. God is still in control. God is allowing some things, but he's still in perfect control. And he can still bring revival at any moment that he chooses. And in fact, if you look at the history of revivals, most often they come at the time when they seem the least probable. And the reality of it is today that there is hope for our country and there is hope for uh, those who are so hurting in so many of these places. And the reality is that we have the answer. In fact, uh, many of us carried the answer right into church with us this morning. And uh, we have it on our phones and everywhere else in our country. Uh, we have the answer. We have the hope and the need of this world available. And it's our job and our privilege to get it to them. And I watch these uh, police officers and National Guard, and I think of those who have served in our armed forces uh, as we commemorated uh, last week on Memorial Day, those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. And, and I think of those who have served, and they've served so well. And I think of how they've served with distinction. I can't help but think that as I serve the Lord, and I believe that most, if not all of us this morning would say, as we serve the Lord, and we're a part of the Lord's army, we don't just want to be a soldier in his army, but we want to be able to say, I served with distinction. I served to the best of my ability. If I ever had the privilege to serve in the United States military, I would have wanted to be known that way. He was a soldier who served with distinction. Sergeant Gary Bykirk served with such distinction in Vietnam that he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. His medal uh, citation reads, For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity, been working on that word, in action at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty, Sergeant Bykirk, medical aidman, Detachment B-24, Company B, distinguished himself during the defense of Camp Daxing. The Allied defenders suffered a number of casualties as a result of an intense, devastating attack launched by the enemy from well-concealed positions surrounding the camp. Sergeant Bykirk, with complete disregard for his personal safety, moved unhesitatingly through the withering enemy fire to his fallen comrades, applying first aid to their wounds and assisted them to the medical aid station. When informed that a seriously injured American officer was lying in an exposed position, Sergeant Bykirk ran immediately through the hail of fire. Although he was wounded seriously by fragments from an exploding enemy mortar shell, Sergeant Bykert carried the officer to a medical aid station. Ignoring his own serious injuries, Sergeant Bykert left the relative safety of the medical bunker to search for and evacuate other men who had been injured. He was again wounded as he dragged a critically injured Vietnamese soldier to the medical bunker while simultaneously applying mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation to sustain his life. Sergeant Bykirk again refused treatment 
and continued his search for other casualties until he collapsed. Only then did he permit himself to be treated. Sergeant Biker's complete devotion to the welfare of his comrades at the risk of his life are in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit on him, his unit, and the U.S. Army. You know, if I was faced with a similar situation, I could only hope I might respond in a similar manner. What a man. I've heard Sergeant Bykirk speak, and he speaks of that situation and how he went back out, and he actually had two uh, young men, young Vietnamese, who were helping the Americans as guides. And, and when he went back out from that medical bunker uh, after he had been wounded by that mortar, he said that those two young men, they began to carry him from place to place, and he actually got to the point that he couldn't walk anymore, and they would take him under his arms, and they would drag him to the next person who needed medical attention, and uh, he would uh, work to meet the needs of that person and they would help him get around and finally he was uh, wounded further and it was one of those young men that it says there was a uh, wounded enemy soldier, one of those young men who went down uh, wounded trying to help him get around and uh, that's the young man he was giving mouth to mouth resuscitation as he was working him back to that protection and, and just the, the whole situation he actually did save some enemy soldiers as well and, uh, and just the, the whole situation it is incredible all that took place on that day and the response that he had in the face of grave danger. What a man. What a man who served. What a man who gave all that he had. Uh, And he gave all of that because he served in the Army of the United States of America. As I heard Sergeant Bykirk speak, he talked about uh, what a privilege it was, even greater than serving the Army of the United States, to to be in the Army of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sergeant Bykirk, who was a Christian, Sergeant Bykirk responded uh, with such a uh, bravery because he said, you know, I knew that each of those lives was somebody who Jesus had died for. He knew that they were someone of importance and he understood the value of life. And so therefore he wasn't just trying to save one side. He was trying to save whoever he could because he knew that God might use and God might work in that life. And and he's a a man who today goes and uh, speaks in many different venues and uh, and things of that nature often in churches and uh, different kinds of patriotic services and things of that nature. And I'm so thankful for a man who has served well, not only in the United States Army, but in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, are we serving with distinction? You know, someone who serves with distinction, that means they're going beyond their mere duty. Uh, They're going beyond just what comes uh, maybe natural or what would be uh, commonly expected, but they go beyond to serving in a distinct manner. As we consider serving with distinction this morning, I want to examine four truths related to the gospel and related to our faithfulness in service to the Lord. First of all, I see here that there must be the declaration of the gospel. There must be the declaration. We won't spend a lot of time here. Uh, we've hit this idea recently, but chapter 15, verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Uh, I'm so glad that Paul was a man, his whole life was marked by really this statement. Anywhere that Paul went, he could leave and say, I've declared the gospel. 
uh, Paul would be able to say that he was free from the blood of all men. Why? Because he had declared to them the gospel in such a manner that he said, there's no one around here who has not had the opportunity of salvation. I am free from their blood. I have come as a uh, faithful warning, uh, a person to give the warning, a watchman. I have sounded the trumpet, the gospel message. I have so declared the gospel that I am free of the blood of all men. I'm thankful for a man like Paul. I'm thankful for the example uh, that he is. And, and certainly one who was uh, a, an apostle and uh, the, the least of the apostles, he would say, because of all that he had done to attack the church. And yet he would say that he labored more than others because he understood how vitally important the message was. And he understood the great debt that he owed to others to give them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today that duty has been passed to us. Reality this morning is we have the duty of giving the gospel, but it's not just the duty, it's the pleasure. We are in the, the midst of a nation that is in many senses crumbling, in a very literal sense, uh, much of it is burning, and yet we have the message that gives the hope that can bring peace in a nation. What our nation needs, uh, certainly short term, we need the rioting to stop and some of those things, and, and we hope that uh, things continue to open up and we can get our economy going again, and, and there's some things there, but those things are not the hope of the United States. The hope of America is not our great economy. The hope of America is not how peaceful and all of the outward freedom that we enjoy. And I'm thankful for all of those things and what a great blessing that they are. But that is not the great joy of being an American. The great joy is that we have the privilege in this nation to worship our God as we see fit. What a joy. And that means that we have the freedom to carry the gospel. Uh, sometimes it looks as though, if you look in history, freedom's almost the enemy of the gospel. Uh, when there's persecution, the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the saints and it repeats down through history that that is the case. And yet when there's freedom, we have a tendency to get lax. And, and look, I know that we know this uh, this morning. We know that it's our duty. We know that it's the, uh, the joy and the privilege. And I actually had something different I was planning on preaching this morning. But uh, as I look at our nation and I watch all that is taking place, I can't help but coming back to saying, hey, uh, the great need of our nation is the Lord Jesus Christ. The great need of our nation is for Christians who will boldly proclaim the gospel message. I was out the other day in a gas station and uh, there was a man there, he was a black man, and uh, he kind of looked at me, and, uh, and I didn't know it was kind of the second day maybe of all of this rioting and things that were going on, and, and honestly, I didn't know how he would feel uh, about me because of the fact that I'm white, and I don't normally think about that at all. Uh, growing up, my best friends were uh, often people of different colors of skin, all different colors of skin. I don't really think along those lines, uh, but I did because of everything that was going on, and I thought, you know, that's not even a right uh, thing. If he has a problem, then he'll have to get over it, I guess. And so I said, hi, how are you today? And he said, I'm good. I didn't put it quite that loud. But I said, I said that, and he said, I'm good. How are you? And I said, good. And he uh, started, had, had started talking to Vanessa, and I didn't realize it. He had a daughter, and he was trying to find out if his daughter was in the restroom and was okay and hadn't seen her come back out yet, and so trying to make sure everything was okay there. And uh, that kind of gave us a way to start having a connection with him. And uh, we started talking, and I pulled a track out of my pocket, and I said, hey, let me just hand you one of these, just an invitation to our church, and uh, we'd sure love to have you come. I'm a brand-new pastor in town. And he said, really, where at? 
And we started talking, and I told him where we were, and he said, oh, man, that's wonderful. He said, that, that's great. I'll have to come visit sometime. And uh, it seemed like he was very excited about it, and we were able to stand there and talk for several minutes. And, and I thought, you know, uh, that's how it should be, and that's really how it normally is. People that I'm around, and especially in this area, uh, you know, I just talk to everybody. I don't really think about a lot of those things, and I think that's probably how many of us are. And, and I thought, you know, that's really what it should be. It's just how do I get the gospel out? whether it's in printed form, whether it's in spoken form, how do I get the gospel to the world around me? Because that is the need of the people. And so I see here the declaration of the gospel. We must be faithful in declaring the gospel in a time like this. Don't be intimidated. Uh, don't be uh, intimidated by a virus and don't be intimidated uh, by uh, dissension among our nation and by all the rioting and everything else. Don't be intimidated, but be bold with the gospel as the apostles were in the New Testament, as many have been down through the ages and as Paul certainly was, the declaration of the gospel. Secondly, though, I see the deliverance of the gospel. Verse number two, he tells us about this gospel. It is the gospel by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed it in vain. The deliverance of the gospel, Paul says, first of all here, it's the gospel by which ye were saved. So in other words, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the only hope for the world. There's no other hope of salvation. So what's that salvation? It's the same thing you got when you got it. Maybe you say, Pastor, I don't know if I know all the verses. Maybe you say, I, I mean, if somebody came and they said to me, how do I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven? You say, I, I might be able to kind of piece some of it together, but I don't know that I necessarily am prepared to answer that question fully. You know what Paul's saying to them? You don't have to have every answer for every theological question out there. You know what you do have to know? How did you get it? How did you make that decision? How did you come to know Christ as your personal Savior? You know what every single person in this room has? If you're saved this morning, you have a powerful, powerful tool called your testimony. You can tell others. It's just your story of how you came to know Jesus as your Savior. And you can tell them, well, I, I, and, and honestly, I've met people who have been saved because somebody said something like this. I don't really know all the right verses and I don't really know all the answers. Here's what I do know. I just know that, that somebody told me I had to understand Jesus is God, that I'm a sinner, and that was pretty easy. And then that I just had to confess that to him and ask him to forgive me. So here's what I did. I prayed uh, a prayer and I asked Jesus to save me. I tell people all the time. I go out and talk to people and they'll say, I'll say, do you know for sure if you died you'd go to heaven? And sometimes they'll say, no, I don't know. And, and I'll say, well, let me tell you about my situation. I was five years old. When I was five years old, my mom handed me a stack of books, and I carried that stack of books over, and I put them on the floor, and I started putting them in the bookcase. And they all had to be in their exact spot. Had to be tallest to shortest, and if they weren't in their exact spot, then I'd be in trouble. So I was taking my time, I was putting them all just where they went. And in the middle of that stack was my little Bible. It was one of those with the pictures in there. And, and I picked up that Bible and I started to put it in its spot. I was five years old. And all of a sudden, the thought hit me if I died right now, I'd go to hell for all of eternity. I thought, you know, I mean, and I always tell people, you know, it's not like I'd ever robbed a bank, I never shot anybody. I was five. But I'd stolen cookies out of the cookie jar and told mom it was my sister. Amen? And so, uh, I mean, I understood I was a sinner. And I'd been to Sunday school enough and I'd heard it enough to know that if I died that I'd go to hell for all of eternity. So right there by myself as a little five-year-old boy, I just bowed my head and said something. I don't remember the exact words, but I said something to God like, Dear Jesus, I understand that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you're God. 
And I'm asking you right now if you'd forgive my sin and be my Savior and take me to heaven with you when I die. You know, people don't need to have the understanding of everything about the Bible. They need to understand one thing. They're a sinner. Jesus loves them and died on the cross to forgive their sin. And he says, whosoever will may come. They can come willingly. They can come freely. And he's promised he'll forgive their sin. You say, Pastor, I don't know all the words. Well, if you've got a story, then you can go. You know what I've found? A lot of the time, young Christians, somebody who's brand new Christian, just been saved uh, a few days, it's like they go see everybody saved. You ever notice that? You know why? They don't have any clue of any Bible verse. But what they do have, they have some zeal. They don't have a lot of knowledge yet, but they have some zeal and they have a story and they know a whole lot of unsaved people. <laughs> like everybody that's their friend, especially if they get saved a little later in life, I'm talking about, everybody that's their friend and everybody in their family, everybody's unsaved. And it's like, this is great. They just go start telling everybody. And everybody says, man, that's so different for them. And before long, other people start getting saved. Why? Because they had an excitement about Jesus. And because they had enough understanding to say, here's my story. And I don't understand it all. And half the time they'll say, and if you have more questions, I, um, you can go talk to my pastor. Man, I love it when people call and say, hey, pastor, I've got this friend. They've got questions for you. <laughs> I said, great, praise the Lord, let's get together and uh, answer their questions. And, and it's a thrilling thing, it's a wonderful thing. But you know, they don't know everything yet. And maybe this morning you said, Pastor, I don't know all the answers. How can I be bold with the gospel? Go tell people there's a God in heaven who loves them so much he gave his own son to die on the cross and then raised him from the dead three days later and that Jesus as God has been raised from the dead under his own power, victorious over death, hell, and sin and is offering salvation. All they have to do is receive it. Oh, what a joy to carry the gospel. It's the message our world is so desperately in need of right now. The deliverance of the gospel. What are we delivering? We're delivering that same gospel whereby we got saved. In other words, we don't need to change it. We don't need to alter it. It's that gospel that offers salvation. So what is that salvation? Number one, it means there is a present sanctification. Presently, we are sanctified from the penalty of sin. It deals with the penalty of sin. Uh, the penalty of sin is immediately removed. Aren't you glad for that? Praise God. But then there is a progressive sanctification. Immediately, sin is dealt with. The penalty of sin. Hell is no longer an option for the Christian. We can't go to hell if we want to. No reason to want to. But if we did, we couldn't. Amen? Because it's the reality. We've trusted Christ as Savior. We can know that we're saved. That deals with the penalty of sin. Uh, yes, yeah, the penalty of sin. But then there's that progressive part. That's dealing with the power of sin. You know, I really wish, just talking as a human being here, I really wish when we got saved, God just took away all of our desire for sin and he took away all that old sin nature and all we had was the new nature only and it was just easy to just never sin again. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Gives us something to look forward to for heaven. But I mean, there's a part of me that says, Lord, I don't understand. Why didn't you just take all that away? <laughs> but he chose in his sovereignty and his great wisdom to say, I'm going to leave that. <laughs> and you're going to have to, over the course of life, put to death that old nature. Every day you're going to have to die and put down that old nature. And every day you're going to have to get in the Bible and spend time in prayer. You're going to have to feed that new nature so that you can grow in Christ and be conformed into his image. 
It's a progressive. It's something that takes place through life. And by the way, it's not really about how we look on the outside. It's about uh, who we are as a person, whether or not we've been conformed to the image or to the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and there's that present part. And then there's that uh, progressive part. And then finally, there's that perfect sanctification that comes when the presence of sin is removed. Penalties of sin is dealt with immediately. The power of sin is something that we battle against throughout this life and should be growing more and more like Jesus. But one day we're going to get to heaven and the presence of sin will be completely removed. Oh, I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day when, as the songwriter said, I'll drop this robe of flesh and rise. And no longer have to battle and no longer have to labor. And it will just become a simple thing to live in Christ and for Christ. And so I see here, first of all, the declaration of the gospel we must give. And I see, secondly, the deliverance of the gospel message. And then, number three, I see the definition of the gospel. Verse number three, Paul defines it for these believers in Corinth. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received. Number one, how that Christ died for your sins, according to the scripture. You say, Pastor, what do I tell somebody? If I'm going to go talk to somebody, what do they need to understand and what do they need to know? Number one, they need to understand that Christ died for their sins. That there's a God who loves them so much that he shed his own blood on purpose for them. What a good God. We live in a world that says a God who would, and right now I'm sure there are people that would say, a God who would let a virus like this go can't be a good God. Or a God who would allow uh, rioting like this must not be a good God. Oh, no, no. He has allowed there to be uh, the choice and freedom. And praise God, he has given us freedom. But you know what he's also done? He has also said, I love you so much. And by the way, he loves the uh, worst, most riotous, uh, riotous Antifa member so much he died on the cross that they could be saved. Hey, there's not a person out there in those riots that the gospel cannot change that person into what they need to be. You know, we we can be mad at Antifa and frustrated with uh, Black Lives Matter and all these that uh, they're they're really not giving those messages. They're really giving a message of uh, rioting and hatred and all this stuff. And as a group, we can be upset with that. Because they are burning cities in our country and all that. But each one of those individuals, we ought to love them. We ought to love them so much. Uh, Have you prayed at all this week? Lord, these people that are coming in and leading these riots, would you help them come to know you as their Savior? Because that's the hope. That's what they need. They need to understand that there's a God in heaven who loves them. And by the way, if you could know the stories, the life stories of so many of these people, you might say... No wonder they think nobody cares. And maybe they just need to know there is someone who loves them. Maybe they just need someone. I'm not talking about going walking down in the middle of a riot tonight. I'm just saying they need somebody that will come along somewhere uh, in their life and say, let me tell you about a man who loves you so much that he died on an old rugged cross so you could be saved. Oh, we serve a loving God. We serve such a good God, such a gentle God. We see the definition of the gospel, first of all, is that Jesus died. He said how that Christ died for your sins according to the uh, the scriptures. Verse number four, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You know, it's a pretty simple message, amen? He died, he was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures. 
You know what our world needs? They don't need uh, us to go out and wow them. They need us to come to them with the simplistic, simple message of the gospel. They need us to come to them with the answers of the word of God for their most important questions. You know the answer, the question that we need to be asking every single person at every single opportunity? In Bible college, they used to tell us, men, you need to, be, you need to pop the question. They weren't talking about getting married, though I think there were some of them that thought that's what it meant. But uh, that wasn't what they were talking about. They would tell us that uh, almost every, uh, probably every week I would hear that. Men, make sure this week you pop the question. And usually it was toward the end of the week as we were approaching Saturday because Saturday was when most of us would go out soul winning. And popping the question for us meant, uh, it was kind of that play on words, for us meant to ask the question, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Or if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell or do you know? And they would remind us on a regular basis, make sure you're asking the question. It's not enough to just hand a track out. It's not enough to just invite someone to church. God did not send us into the world to invite people to church. He sent us into the world to preach the gospel, deliver the message, ask the question, uh, give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work in their heart, ask them if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd wake up in heaven? By the way, you won't have that opportunity with every person, and, and certainly that's true, but we should have opportunity fairly regularly. If we're talking to enough people about the gospel, then we'll have the opportunity to ask that question, if you were to die, do you know for sure where you'd spend eternity? And I'm just saying, Paul's writing to this church, and he's saying, let me define the gospel for you, and let me remind you to declare the gospel. It, it's not just about your church. It's not just about inviting people. It's not just about them being helped to be a better citizen. And, and, and I'm, you know, I think, do things like writing letters to a mayor or something like that, and I'll put in there uh, you know, things like our church helps uh, young people to become better citizens uh, and better members of society, because that's what they care about, and that's all good and fine. But that's not the purpose of our our church primarily. Amen? Our primary purpose is not good citizens, though if somebody becomes a good Christian, they'll become a good citizen. But our primary purpose is not them to be a good citizen with a reformed life. It's that they would become a good Christian with a transformed mind that has been transformed by the Word of God. We have that opportunity. We have the answer. We have what is the hope of our nation and the hope of our world, and we get to hold it in our very hands. And Paul brings it right here in chapter 15 in these first couple verses down to a very simple message. And he says, look, here's what you need to be telling them. Christ died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And he's now offering to all people everlasting life. And it's their choice to receive it or to reject it. You know, when you really boil it down, your choice is either to choose Christ and eternal life or to reject Christ and choose hell for all of eternity. You have to wonder, don't you, why would anybody ever choose to go to hell for all of eternity? It's heartbreaking that people make that decision. We know they can't fully understand the ramifications, or surely they would never choose that. And yet sometimes they do. Let me just say to you this morning, because sometimes we get discouraged. Let me just say to you, if you give somebody the gospel and they don't get saved, you didn't fail. You did exactly what your job was. You proclaimed the gospel message. 
Go give the message this week. Go tell the message. We see the definition of it. It's simple. It's, it's something that all men can understand. And then finally I see our duty with the gospel. Verse number three says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. Duty number one is to receive the gospel. Paul says this is the same gospel by which you were saved. And, and so our first job is to receive it. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, uh, you're preaching about this gospel message and you're talking about knowing for sure that when I die that I would go to heaven and, and you're talking about going out there and asking other people that question and, and that makes sense, but the reality is I don't know if I have that question answered. Or maybe you'd say, I do know the answer to that question. It's not what I would like for it to be. This morning here in just a minute, we're going to give what we call an invitation. It's, the piano will play. It's really just me inviting you to respond to God, how he's working in your heart. And we'll give you an opportunity to have somebody take a Bible and just show you from the Bible. We won't embarrass you. We won't uh, try to march you around in front of people and make a big thing of it. We'll just very discreetly help you be able to slip off and somebody can take a Bible and show you from the Bible how to know absolutely for sure that you're on your way to heaven. You know, the reality is this, we don't want you to leave today if you don't know that you're saved and say, well, I made this decision because of what that church teaches or what that pastor said. We want you to leave not based on our opinion, but based on what God says in his word, knowing that you have everlasting life. The first responsibility is to receive the gospel. Until you've done that, don't worry about anything else. But then if you've done that, the second responsibility is to deliver the gospel. So first we're to receive it, secondly we're to deliver it, and then number three is to deliver the same gospel which you received. Don't alter it, don't uh, change it around, don't try to make it more palatable to our society, don't try to make it sound a little softer, uh, don't say, well, I just I have a hard time uh, telling people that they're a sinner and, and, and all that kind of stuff, and it just it sounds so harsh, and I don't know, just give them the gospel. The same gospel that you receive, that they're a sinner, that they need forgiveness of their sin, and that Jesus' work on the cross gives the opportunity for the forgiveness of sin. Charles Plum was a U.S. Navy pilot in Vietnam. He flew 75 successful combat missions. And after, on his 75th mission, his plane was destroyed by a surface-to-air missile. Plum ejected and parachuted into enemy hands. He was captured then and spent the next six years in a communist Vietnamese prison. He survived, and after he uh, got back out of that prison and made it back to the United States of America, he would eventually become a motivational speaker and speak all around this country. One day, Plum and his wife were sitting in a restaurant, and he noticed that there was a man who just kept staring at him. You know how it is, you can just kind of feel somebody looking at you. And before long, you kind of glance over, and they're still looking at you, and now you start noticing the fact that they're looking at you, and that's kind of what was happening. And then before long, the man kept staring so much, Plum was trying to figure out, like, what is going on? Why does this man just keep staring at me? It had gone beyond noticing to uh, really becoming a, a question, what is happening here? After a few minutes, the man stood up. He walked over to the table where Charles Plum was seated, and he said, you're plum. You flew jet pilots in Vietnam from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk. You were shot down. Charles Plum looked at the man. Of course, he speaks all over the country. He said, yeah, how in the world did you know that? The man stood and he said, I packed your parachute. 
Plum said of himself, this man who travels the country speaking was left speechless. Stuck out my hand with great gratitude. So the man pumped his hand and said, I guess it worked. (laughs) Plum couldn't sleep that night. He said, I kept wondering, what did that man look like in a Navy uniform all those years ago? A white hat, a bib in the back, bell-bottom trousers. I wonder how many times I might have seen him and not even said, good morning, how are you? Or anything. Because you see, I was a fighter pilot, and he was just a sailor. Plum thought of how many hours the sailor had spent at a long wooden table in the bowels of the ship, carefully weaving the shrouds and folding the silks of each and every chute, holding in his hands each time the fate of someone he did not even know. While they were at that table, Plum asked the man, have you kept track of all the parachutes that you've packed? Do you know how many lives you've saved? The man stood and replied, I didn't keep track of all the chutes I packed. It was enough for me to know that I served. Well, I may not have been a Top Gun pilot, renowned speaker, or even well-known on his own ship. That was a man who served with distinction. So, Pastor, I want to serve with distinction because I want people to know me and I want my name to be big. No, 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 no. That man served with distinction in the bowels of a ship and he never got any kind of accolades. But he spent his days packing somebody's shoes. As we serve our master this morning, he's worthy of so much more than the United States military. We are packing chutes, so to speak, not for someone to launch out of a plane and hopefully end up uh, maybe in a military prison camp or somehow working their way back home, but we are packing, in a sense, an eternal chute. We're preparing people to launch into eternity, and every person that we walk past this week, their eternal soul is going somewhere. But we don't know how ready they are. So it's incumbent upon us to say, I'm going to carry forth the message of the gospel and give it to every single person I find. And not so that I can have a name or so that I can have recognition. No, it's enough for me to to know that I served. I served with distinction. Just going around to people saying, can I give you an invitation to my church? And by the way, if you were to die today, do you know for sure if you'd go to heaven? And all we're doing is trying to pack their chute and to prepare them to launch out. How well are you serving with the gospel message this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you for how good you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you have entrusted this message to us. Would you help us to be faithful with it? Would you help us, Lord, to pack the chutes of others? with the gospel message, that they can be prepared to launch into eternity and spend eternity in heaven with you. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.